Hello and welcome to episode number 88 of the Hobbies and Happiness podcast, where we talk all about the hobby that makes us happy, tabletop gaming. I'm one of your hosts, Dan. And I'm Jim. And today we're talking with Brendan Patrick. Right. So yeah, today we're talking with a what 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 do we call him? A, a scrub? Is he uh, a scrub? Former former Pro flesh and blood player turned scrub. There we go. Yes. <laughs> I like that better. <laughs> Brendan, we're kidding, man. We are yeah. we're totally yeah. kidding. Now before we get into the episode, we need to talk about our sponsor, Amazon Audible. If you head over to our affiliate link, www.audibletrial.com forward slash hobbies and happiness, sign up for your free 30-day trial of Amazon's audiobook service. Audible. And when you sign up for that free 30-day trial, you get a free credit added to your account. A free credit for any for any audiobook on the service. What's better is if you're an Amazon Prime member, you get two free credits added to your account. So, and those credits never are going anywhere. They don't go away. So if you cancel that service before the end of that 30 days, you get to keep those credits on your account for forever. 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 That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You get those credits forever. So head over to our field link, sign up for that trial, get those credits added to your account, and then use it for an audiobook that you can listen to on your commute. All right. So again, head over to that affiliate, head over to and click that affiliate link. Sign up today. All right. This um this is a a, a fantastic conversation. This conversation um, was this conversation was one of those conversations that I just we couldn't stop talking. Yeah. Um, this was it. It flowed. I really felt like it just flowed, flowed <laughs> very seamlessly throughout the entirety of the interview. We had a fantastic conversation with Brendan. Brendan, I want to say is no stranger to card games, but when I found out that Flesh and Blood was his first card game. Yeah. I mean, talk about mind blowing yeah. explosion. It's been what four, five years? Uh, five I years? think it came out in 2019. I want to wow, say it came out in 2019. Years. Okay. So, and just listening to him talk, he very much sounds like somebody who's been doing this literally his entire life. Mm -hmm. But then listening to his background, his backstory, it was just a phenomenal conversation. So, yeah. guys, you know what I? I think you're going to learn a lot from this episode, not from us by no means, <laughs> but from from Brendan and just the way that he talks about these card games is just honestly when you hear it, it yeah. you feel a lot smarter, and that's <laughs> how I felt. That's really how I felt. So, without any further ado, let's get right into the conversation with Brendan Patrick. All right, joining us today on the podcast is Brendan Patrick. Brendan is a uh, uh, like like he puts an amateur. <laughs> Flesh and Blood uh, player, also co-host of multiple podcasts. We have the Arsenal Pass podcast, Podcana, a Disney Lorcana podcast, as well as Snapshot podcast, a uh, Marvel Snap podcast. And he is also a commentator and caster for a lot of these card games. Brendan, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. I'm, uh, I'm in a bit of a... <sighs> situation i mean i'm moving apartments on friday which has taught me a lesson about the mistakes i've made in card games actually up until now because i have 10 boxes of bulk and i think i will never buy another sealed product ever again <laughs> buy, <laughs> buy singles it is disgusting like it's honestly these cards like they just have power over me at this point with all this <laughs> it's too much 
Well, it's funny. So, um, I moved my, me and my family moved when it was like last year. It was, it was about a year, year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to call Jim to hold cause I have like all of our, our card stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, Jim, I'm going to need you to hold on to all this stuff while we move. It was a lot. <laughs> it, was, it, was a lot. it was a lot. I think you had to do multiple trips. You had to take multiple trips. Yeah, it filled my entire car and then some. And then some. Yeah. Yep. 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 I think it's it's a bit daunting when I realized that the next apartment I moved to, that ten percent of my square footage is taken up by cars. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Well, it depends on who you talk to. It's depends on who you talk to. We'll, we'll say if that's good or not. <laughs> me. Talk to me. That's pretty good. So, all right. Well, uh, Brendan, you know, first, the first thing I want to talk about is um, I'm curious as to kind of your history um, in the card game space. Um, you know, talking a little bit before the call, um, come to find out Flesh and Blood is the first card game that you really played. So I, wonder, I was wondering if you could kind of touch on kind of your history in, in the space a little bit. Yeah, so, yeah, it was the first card game I played, like you said, but I had a bit of a, I played video games before, and I played them a bit degenerately, I guess. I played a lot of World of Warcraft, which is probably nice. common, right? <laughs> but I ended up getting into like that, you know, I was playing like 10, 15 hours a day. I was doing the, like, nowadays it's pretty interesting, because right when I got out was when esports got into World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. so it was like early battle for Azeroth, but before during the first expansion, you know, the first rate of that expansion and prior, I was doing some of the race to world first stuff. I wasn't in limit, which is like the big U S guild right now that a lot of people mm-hmm. probably know that brand. Um, but I was in, you know, kind of top five U S and I was sort of on my progression path to try to get into limit. I was in a guild called alacrity, which was like a big feeder guild for limit at the time. And then, yeah, I realized I was, <laughs> It's hard to keep up with that lifestyle, so I got out <laughs> sort of right when uh, right when esports got in, which is kind of a bummer, but ultimately probably for the best. But yeah, I, f- I got into card games because uh, you know me and my girlfriend actually got at the time got me into Magic, and I started buying dual decks, and then I bought every freaking dual deck there was, and I was just like a dual deck <laughs> champion, aficionado. <laughs> And uh, pretty soon after that, Flesh and Blood dropped. I was in a local game store, and I just saw it, and I just impulse bought it. Went home, opened up some booster box, loved the game. And yeah, I just kind of got addicted to it. They had a 10K tournament, which didn't make any freaking sense. Like nobody heard about the game. Nobody knew what was going on. So I drove (laughs) down to Austin, Texas a couple hours and competed my first tournament. Met my best friend, Sasha Markovic. Met James White, creator of the game. And it just snowballed from there, to be honest. Wow. Wow. That that was the first uh, Flesh and Blood tournament that that you participated in? Yeah, I got second. Unfortunately, I lost to Sasha. Oh, he's I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know, the, the inside scoop is I actually lost to like a, basically like a rules mistake. And honestly, Sasha oh, kind of angle shooted wow. me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> kind of angle shot me for the win. But, you know, it's all good. Uh, at that point, we actually we split the we split the finals in terms of prizing and I used that money to roll that into the first constructed calling in New Zealand and did like a two week trip out there, which was I mean, talk about in just an incredible experience with my first exposure to card games is like it takes me to a place in the world that I probably would have never gone to, one of the most amazing mm-hmm. trips I've been on. And the people I met, you know, they are part of my life even today with Arsenal Pass being a weekly thing and just some of my best friends are a part of that flesh and blood community. It's, it was a crazy thing. Yeah, awesome. one one thing one thing we talk about a lot 
in um, you know in this podcast and kind of everything that we're doing is is all about the community. And I love hearing stories just like that. Where, I mean, going to New Zealand, like you 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 just you you hit it on the head, right? Never would have thought that you would have gone there in any other way, and then mm-hmm. somehow you you made your way to New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, even more recently, a pro tour number two, uh, was in France. It was in Lille, which is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Lille's an interesting spot in France. I'll say that it's it was a cool, it was a weird place to pick for a pro tour. But I did do five weeks in Europe, which is like it was wow. ridiculous. I was in a I was in sort of a life situation where I could take that time off. But mm-hmm. I mean, card games facilitated that happening, and it was one of the mm-hmm. most incredible experiences of my life. And that, I met people in each place from Flesh and Blood, which is freaking crazy. That that is cool. That that is that is really cool. Mm-hmm. I I I love hearing stories like that. I mean, hearing things like that, like honestly, solidifies in my mind that community is like the it it's the end all be all. Mm-hmm. I mean, because and and that's what I hear from everybody. Um, a lot of times I hear is it's not so much yeah I'm having a, a good time playing this game. This game is fun. It that is the. Um, that is a facilitator, right? The game is a facilitator for all these amazing experiences and these people that I'm meeting that I wouldn't have met any other way. And they, some of them now are some of my best friends, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that is, that is, that's it. That's awesome. Now, it's really, what? It's, I just want to say, cause it wasn't, it actually, like, I agree with you and it was cool. Cause it wasn't my, it wasn't my motivation for starting the game whatsoever. Like I wasn't looking for that at all, but I think as I've matured and as I sort of grew into flesh and blood, I realized that that was actually the sole reason why I kept playing the game. And honestly, mm-hmm. what's motivated me to stay with it and probably will stay with it for as long as I can, because it's part of my identity It's part of who I am at this point. It's the people. So what? So, so that's what keeps you in now, but what was it that initially got you into it? Like, why did you pick it up? I just like, yeah, I just like the competition. I think like, I, I felt like I was basically, I picked it up. I was playing it on my kitchen table. I was like, Oh, I think I'm pretty good at this game. And, <laughs> like everyone yeah. else. Thinks. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, this is kind of the the story of the first tournament too is like we had this local scene that was like me, my girlfriend, and like some 15-year-olds. And like we had to like <laughs> bribe them with promos to keep coming out. Um, but yeah, in lead up to that first tournament, I remember I'd w- I'd been winning a lot. I was like 27 and 0, and I'm like, dude, I got this. And I got first game I get down in Austin was against my friend Sasha, and I lose. And I'm like, ooh, I uh, <laughs> this is not gonna go well. Um, but yeah, I mean honestly. I'd been, I picked it up really early. I was like, man, I think I'm pretty good at this. I'll go give a shot to 10 K. And I, I didn't like nothing attracted me to like the physical cards or playing in person or making friends. I was just like, I'm going to go try to do this. And, um, yeah, my motivations nowadays are literally the complete opposite. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you mentioned, you mentioned video games and world of Warcraft. <clears throat> um, I mean, the, it's it, it's crazy to me that you know you pick you pick up flesh and blood immediately become a become an amateur professional flesh and blood player um but you know you just you talk about the video games what similarities do you see between world of warcraft and card games um in general or maybe particularly flesh and blood so i think that this this aspect can be mirrored in a lot of a, a lot of different things right and that's that you 
Flesh and Blood and World of Warcraft have something in common that's like you can there's an input to output ratio in terms of like what you put into it is sort of what you get out in terms of reward. And I felt like that felt that was a very rewarding experience. It was something that I could obsess over and I could throw myself into and become absorbed in. And there was enough depth that I couldn't reach the bottom, right? And I could really put my time into it. And then it translated to an output, to an outcome. And I felt rewarded. And I think that that's what a lot of games should strive. Like a lot of games strive to give that experience, but not a lot have it, right? And I think that's what can make something, you know, like a World of Warcraft or like or like a Flesh and Blood, something that you can really sink your sort of, I don't know, all of you into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pe- people say a lot of, uh, you know, sink your teeth into, mm-hmm. but I think that explanation is exactly what they're referring to, is that input to output ratio. Yeah. Are there any other games, <clears throat> and, and you know, we'll, we'll definitely be touching on Marvel Marvel Snap and, you know, Disney Lorcana here in a little bit, but are there any other games right now that you see that similar input to output ratio in that you're, that you're, you are being rewarded with? Yeah, so I I don't really play video games anymore just because they're <laughs> they don't mesh well mesh well with like a, a more adult lifestyle, you know, having responsibility. <laughs> Shots fired, that, guys. Uh, that being said, this past weekend was the Diablo Four beta, and so I yeah, probably played that over three days. I probably played that for like maybe thirty five to forty hours, and then this next nice. weekend, my man, <laughs> yeah, there's another beta. There's another open beta. Mm-hmm. So yeah. all week I've been getting together three more of my friends, and we're gonna go for a hardcore Ashava kill, which is like the world nice. boss. It's like the only aspirational content in the game. So <laughs> nice. yeah, I mean, been theory crafting like all week, and yeah, I, I don't know. Still, I I can't I can't stay away from it. I guess, <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you you just said it. it's the the theory crafting is is how big to you is theory crafting because Jim talks about theory crafting all the time, especially in mm-hmm. in regards to well in regards to card games, but also World mm-hmm. of Warcraft. Um, like how much? Um, I, I guess I, I guess I should phrase it from the same point of how much impact do you put on theory crafting? And like, is if a game doesn't have some sort of theory crafting, do you see yourself getting more? or anything out of that game if you can't craft something for yourself? Yeah, it's it's a really tough question because I know it's like a it's an issue with a lot of like modern games, I feel like is like they try to make it so accessible that it becomes too easy and it eventually lacks depth. Um, and I think mm-hmm. that like when I think of theory crafting, honestly the the best the best sort of expression experience of that for me has been flesh and blood and getting together with groups of players groups of my friends and testing for months on end and then creating like systems in terms of like how we collect and aggregate and analyze our data creating schedules uh sort of like having sort of like a macro and micro dive on sort of our individual games having a strategy for the team but also the individual player and then taking Mm -hmm. that to this um this sort of culminating event somewhere in the world, whether it's pro tour in France or, you know, pro tour in New York, and then putting that to the test. Something about that process is both miserable, painful, fun, (laughs) awesome, and just like very rewarding in the end, whether you win or lose. Yeah. Yeah. Now, so one, one, so, you know, we, we, we had flake on, right. Um, Mm -hmm. you know what, since, since we're talking about flake, um, I've got one question I want to ask you. Why would you start a podcast around Disney Lorcana with a guy like uh, Matt DeMarco? Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> Honestly, he was, <laughs> he was the only don't one who know how to play offers. the game. We don't even know what the game is. Yeah. So honestly, that's 
the whole podcast thing is pretty interesting because there's there's a balance between getting ahead of something and also like the, I've seen other podcasts for other games try to get ahead of something too early, right? And then they're doing weekly mm-hmm. content, they run out of content, and they actually just kind of uh, fatigue their own audience. And Podcana mm-hmm. is like a huge balance for me and Flake in doing that. And it's kind of the reason why we're on bi-weekly right now. And we're like, Ravensburger, release the rules. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I think that Lorcana as a card game is set up to be successful. And if you look at the products that they've showcased so far, the the company behind it, not being Disney, but Ravensburger, it's set up to be successful. And I think at the very least, it'll just be <laughs> enjoyable for me. And I think I'm at, the, <laughs> I'm at the stage where I've realized that like in, we'll talk, I guess we can talk about this when we get into casting, but I've realized what I have to do to maximize my sort of sustainability and enjoyment in the things that I like. And podcasting allows me to do that in things like card games. So in flesh and blood in, in potentially lore kind of in things like Marvel snap, they give me a way to sort of, um, I don't know, sustainably interact with that game. So I don't have to be a professional player. I don't have to be trying to degen to be the best, right? I can just be Mm -hmm. having conversations with my friends, which is like very self-actualizing it's great. That's why we do it and mm-hmm. community, et cetera, et cetera. But I can keep engaging with that, that game that I love. Mm-hmm. So going, going off of that, <clears throat> is there one thing that's more important to you? Um, when we talk about, cause you just talked about sustainability in the game, like long-term mm-hmm. or even the short-term or enjoyment. I mean, I think, you know, in a perfect world, we want both. Right. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But do you look for, like, if, if you're looking to pick something up, like, let's just talk about Lorcana, for instance. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, do you look more at, is it more important to you that you're going to enjoy it? Or if it's something that's going to be sustainable in the longer run, because I mean, a lot of us do things that we don't like, but we know it's a, it's a it's a sustainable source of income for for whatever reason, right? Let's let's just yeah. let's talk about income, right? <clears throat> um, but when it comes to card games, is do you look for like is it more important to you that it's enjoyable or that it's going to be sustainable or successful in the long term? Yeah, I think it's multi multifaceted. I think enjoyment is definitely one of the key motivators, but I think approached with the with sort of the mindset that you can't enjoy everything all the time, every time, you know, sometimes it's not going to be, you'll get burnt out. It won't always be exciting. It won't always be new. It won't always be fun. And I realize that, but I do know like the thing I do know, I can still extract enjoyment out of that card game. And then on top of that is sustainability. You know, like if it's just Lorcan is being launched by a sort of a massive publisher, great IP backing Mm -hmm. and everything has looked good so far. So, from what I can tell, it's going to exist for a while and um, I can invest my time and energy into it now and I can reap the rewards of that later, whether it's, you know, being able to travel to Lorcana events, being able to create a community around it, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it just sort of, it lowers the risk of me just, you know, talking into space <laughs> and wasting my time right. potentially. Um, right. It's, right. I think it's multifaceted, but I do think that, yeah, uh, both Flake and I have approached Lorcana. Uh, primarily because we're like, wow, this game looks, this game looks sweet. Yeah. Well, one thing in, when we talked to Flake, you know, one thing that, um, I remember telling him, I'm like, it's, it is a very good opportunity, like for any card game content creator. Um, I was talking to Jim about this when we, when it was announced, 
you know, we we felt like, man, we are in this space at a really opportune time, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's a very good opportunity mm-hmm. for people like us to, you know, mm-hmm. essentially jump on the bandwagon, right? Mm-hmm. And those those I feel like those times don't come around very often, right? I mean, flesh and blood was another was another big one, right? That, um, but I feel like just these these times don't come along very often. So I do feel fortunate to be in this space mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. at this time for sure. Um, is there one thing above all else that is re- that intrigues you about Lorcana, or is or or not? Like, is there one thing that's kind of pulling you to it, um, or is it just kind of a multifaceted thing? Yeah, I think it's multifaceted. I can't really say. I think if I said there was one thing pulling me to it right now, um, like it wouldn't be a hundred. Like it just wouldn't be fair, right? Because we don't have the rules, we don't have the gameplays, like. Mm-hmm. It, the fact of the matter is you just don't know. So mm-hmm. I think that it's just the potential that really drives me to it. It's just like, I sort of believe in the publisher, looking at their history, looking at their designers. It's like, they have everything they need to make a good game here. They have the huge IP backing, mm-hmm. everything like this can be huge. So I'm just going to give it a shot. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I can't say that I'm like, you know, there's this one thing about this game that differentiates sure. from others. And that's why I'm going to play it. Cause ultimately right now we don't know. Right, mm. right. It's just the money cards for me. That's it. <laughs> it's going to make great money off of it and, and not even – I don't even know how to play the game. I'm not going to learn how to play the game. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, we talked about that in our podcast today actually. Well, not necessarily money cards, but if you look – based off of like some of the rumors Flake and I have heard from – our friends that have stores is like the allocation mm-hmm. is not looking out, looking up to be yeah. what people nope. expect. And we, mm-hmm. we really, we really felt this in flesh and blood and uh, some of the earlier sets. And yeah. you can see the same patterns happening, like mm-hmm. early pre-orders going out of like, you know, some unknown stores in Canada. And it's like, yeah, are they going to uphold those pre-orders six months later after they kept your money <laughs> on a zero interest <laughs> loan and they can now sell it for a thousand rather than a hundred. It's like, mm-hmm. it doesn't happen. And we, we we talked about it a bit on this on this week's podcast because in Flesh and Blood a lot of people got wrecked um, because of that you know this whole <laughs> craziness of an alpha set. Do you do you see th- the first set for Lorcana shaking out similarly to how Flesh and Blood did? Um, mm. I mean, I feel like I feel like that's a good bet to make. Um, but it's just you know with with the allocations that we're hearing about, all the mm. news that's coming out, it's it it just seems like there's flags that are going up that just are very similar to what happened with Flesh and Blood. Um, what mm. do you think it's going to shake out some uh, in in a similar fashion? So I think yes and no. I would say no because for Legend Story Studios, they come out, they release their alpha product. There's a, there's sort of a risk assessment they need to make in terms of how much product they print. They have no idea what the demand is going to be, and whatever they print, they print. And like you know, they've they've decided that beforehand they have limited amount of capital, et cetera, et cetera, and that demand might wildly exceed or you know be under whatever the the market demand is. Lorcana, not the same thing whatsoever. Ravensburger also has the capital to theoretically print as much as possible. The real bottlenecks come in them actually getting um, space to print because I know that's a huge issue. Multiple games have had multiple sets uh, delayed, have not been able to mm. get you know as much printing as they want. It really affected Flesh and Blood, so that's a big issue. I also think when it comes to local game store allocations, like we know Lorcana is going to be in big stores, right? Like Walmart, it might be on like a SEG, it might be on a um, on a Channel Fireball, who knows? So even if your local game store is getting a bad allocation, which is, that's that's what we've heard behind the scenes, they could be massive allocations to things like those big box stores 
stores and there could still mm-hmm. be enough product. I think if if Ravensburger goes into this, not printing as much as they humanly possible can, because remember at the same time, for them, for them, the more they print, the more money they make, right? If they actually believe the demand will be there and Mm-hmm. Demand, the demand looks like it's going to be there. Um, right. Yeah. So if the, if they don't do that, I think that it's just like a huge, it seems like it would be a huge strategic mistake. So much so that there's like, there's almost no way. I think it's got to be a bottleneck in terms of like actually getting, um, you know, space to print those kind of cards uh, or, you know, they are allocating other places than local game stores in terms of like the bulk of their product. Mm-hmm. One thing, one thing that we've talked about um, multiple times is, um, when it comes to, when it comes to printing, um, the idea has been thrown out around about Ra- Ravensburger, Ravensburger, um, coming out and being transparent with the fact that they're going to print as much as humanly possible. Do you mm-hmm. think if they were to come out and publicly say something like that, that that would, um, have a positive impact, um, either on pricing allocations or, or whatever you have. Cause I know one thing that's been talked about quite a lot is collectors, investors trying to buy up as much product as they can, you know, to sell off at a future point to just, you know, mm-hmm. make, make as much money as they possibly can. Do you think Ravensburger coming out and publicly saying something like that would be good? Number one. And do you think they would do something like that? So I think if they use like an ambiguous term, like we're going to print as much as humanly possible, it would have almost no effect. And I think if they used a specific mm. term and a specific number, it would probably have the opposite of the intended effect. And I think that collectors or not collectors, but speculators would actually have less risk investing in the product and trying to scalp it rather than they would when the number is actually ambiguous. So I almost mm. feel like there's there's nothing that Ravensburger can do in terms of like informing the public. Um, but yeah, it is going to have like what, I think if people don't believe or understand that uh, Lorcan is going to be absolutely dominated by scalpers in se- the secondary market, <laughs> like <laughs> that's that's just how it's <laughs> yeah that's just it's, that's just how it's going to be. Yep, and it's like yep. people were complaining about the MSRP of one hundred and forty six dollars. Now that is that is a that's the best price. That's not the price anybody here is going to pay. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> now that that was for a booster box, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did we just assume that based off of the uh, pack price? Is that kind of how we got to that essentially? Yeah, I believe it was off the pack price, and I think the U.S. price was I don't know how Flake got it. I don't know if it was leaked or was given by a store, but I know we had the okay. U.K. prices the last week. So yeah, it looks like it's going to be around one hundred and forty dollars. But I really don't see any any sort of week one boxes being at that price. Um, I just really hope it stays in that two to three X range, which is disgusting. Don't get me wrong, but like when it gets to like ten X, it's it's too much. Yeah. How well? Okay. So let's. It's not if it's when. <laughs> yeah. Well, what 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 do you think? What do you think a box price is going to be at at a at a random LGS? If you had to throw out a number, what would you, what would you guess? Oh, it's tough. So I'll just look at like. Just like thinking back to Flesh and Blood and in terms of uh, like Crucible of War is like a heavily scalp set. I mean, we were looking at like 500 plus a box. Um, I know there was a set that came after that, which was Monarch, um, which is funny because there was a large online retailer that the publisher did a deal with and they heavily manipulated the market. But there was a big meme called Mm. Mon to to 1K. um, And people were looking for $1,000 boxes. And I think that that's not super... Not super far out. The one thing that might keep the price of this box down is like the macroeconomic market conditions of just the general economy here in the West is not great for TCG speculation right now. I think that if you're yellowing out your life savings into like a new card game where you don't know the printing and you have like we have no details on it, basically. Like 
that's a little bit less likely than if you go back you know, a year and a half or two years ago when people were doing it in flesh and blood. The mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that the sort of deployment of capital back then was a bit more reasonable where now it's like, I think if people are doing it, they're probably big players rather than just like, you know, you know, the dude down the streets buying like 20 Mon boxes and he's going to give him the 1k. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Well, do you think, do you think there's anything that can be done about that? Like, do you think that's ever going to go away or do you think that's just the nature of the market and the marketplace? Yeah. I mean, so if they print enough, <laughs> then it should, it should, it should equalize at map. Right. Um, uh-huh. Theoretically. I think that through the big box retailers, as much as that experience is actually not going to benefit me, you, or anybody probably listening to this is like, I'm talking about the packs and like Walmart and stuff because mm-hmm. people are going to go stand out front and get them anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. That is a more accessible way, in my opinion, to get the product than through potentially like your local, local game store, which is, you know, the local game store is that not only do they add their price onto it, but that stuff gets sold out and that stuff can get sold out to other scalpers as well. So it's, it all comes down to like, in the, so the distributors also, we talked with them on the pod, but like when it comes to like the distributors in the local game stores, from what I understand, like let's say a distributor has, uh, has three customers, right? Three local game, uh, three local game stores. One wants a thousand boxes, one wants a hundred boxes and the other one wants a hundred boxes. They cut all of the, they, let's say that what they were expecting gets cut in half instead of allocating it all equally to all three, they might just allocate it all to the big guy, all to number one, and then just kind of, you know, screw over the small, mm-hmm. the, the sort of mm-hmm. the smaller stores. It doesn't get, when, when the allocations get cut, it doesn't get distributed evenly across the people that are expecting the boxes. It usually just kind of reallocates to the big guy because that's mm-hmm. where the relationships are. And that's where sort of the economies of scale of like the large ordering, you know, maybe like the pre-orders, like all this kind of stuff. It just, Mm-hmm. That's what happened in Flash and Blood, at least. Mm-hmm. Now, um, so I, I you're you're familiar with uh, Team Covenant, right, Zach, Zach and Steven? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we're uh, we're we're big we're big fans of those guys. We yeah, we yeah. stole their setup. you're not wrong um so i you know i I know zach zach is big into flesh and blood well i i know they both are um but we Mm -hmm. we had talked to steven steven a while back um but you know one thing that they've talked quite a bit about um and one like their big one of their core values right is you know they they do not they're not going to raise prices right they're Mm -hmm. they want to sell they value their community too much, right? Um, yeah. To to do something like that. Um, so I look I look at them, okay, as as a as a model, and say if everyone was like that, like if every store was like that, then would we have problems like this, right? So part of part part of me thinks those problems would still exist, even if all LGSs. St- you know, had that similar mindset. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think if everyone was like Team Covenant and didn't raise their prices, if you know the market w- essentially validated that they do that, do you think the market would still be like that? Yeah. So if I was going to be cynical, I would say it might work for everybody else if they were also a subscription model. So it, it really it really yeah. plays the Team Covenant's strengths that they don't do those kind of things because that's they true. have a loyal customer base that's built on a continuity basis. Um, and that true. means that people are paying for products sometimes that, you know, maybe they didn't want the most recent Flesh and Blood set, but they're, a, they're sort of a recurring customer mm. of Team Covenant. They're big fans of the brand. They like the promo cards. Like there's so much else that goes into it rather than just getting that's your true. box and getting at the lowest true. price possible, which is... People shopping at LGSs, if there's 
three LGSs 10 miles away from each other, they're probably going to the cheapest one unless they have a relationship with like playing at that store or something like that. So I really, I also like Team Covenant's mission and the way that they sort of, um, they have a lot of integrity with their price and they have a lot of loyalty to their customer base. I think it works out in their favor. Um, First of all, that is just their business ethics. They're going to follow that whether it's profitable or Absolutely. not. But because it's because yep. it's a subscription model, it just makes sense. It wouldn't make sense to do it the other way, in my opinion. So I think that like that is sort of the only <laughs> the only viable business decision for them if they want to maintain this long term brand, this long term customer right. base. Um, right. But yeah, uh, it, and do I think it would solve it if everybody went to that model? Maybe. So the thing is, is like okay, let's say the LGSs didn't scalp it, right? Like, it's still going to be me, like, say I'm the guy, right? I, it's still going to be me, the player. I'll be on the phone and it'll be like, hey, how much are your pre-orders? Like, 100 bucks. It's like, okay, give me as much as possible and I'll scalp yeah. it. And like, yeah. it's just like, it's going to happen somewhere right. down the line. The right. opportunity's right. there. Right. Do you think that's ever going to go away, especially nah. in this space? No, nah, definitely, definitely not, right? It's just, I just don't think so because maybe if it becomes, well, honestly, it'll go away if it becomes not profitable anymore. That's yeah. it, right? Yeah. That, that's yeah. really what it comes down to. The right. problem is, is that it is profitable. Um, yep. And people have been doing this not only in card games, but other assets of sort of e-commerce and online products for a long, long, long time. Mm -hmm. And as long as it's profitable, I think that people will do it. You know, I think I know how to fix it. Oh boy. Get rid of all physical card games. <laughs> make it all digital. <laughs> you can't have scalpers anymore, dude. All right, before we get there, before we get there, because that 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 was a perfect segue, but I wish you would have waited. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just saw the opportunity. I'm yeah, like, there perfect. we go. So, but before before we get there, um, uh, this is very interesting talking about Lorcana because, again, like we talked about, the opportunity of being in this community at this time. Price is a huge thing that mm -hmm. if you if you go to Lorcana HQ Discord, that's all people are talking about. Like when they announced pricing, it was a huge like that was the that was a topic, mm -hmm. and a lot of a lot of unhappy people. For the most part, a lot of people were just not happy with the price. Which again, you have to pay more for something you don't let. I, I get it. I un, understand understandable, yeah. um, but it's just I don't think that's ever going to go away. Just it it is just not mm -hmm. especially 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 in this in this kind of space. Um, mm -hmm. It would would that work right? Um, so let let let's talk about digital digital card games and physical card games. Do you do you think we're ever get, we'd ever get to a point where physical card games are going to become a thing of the past? So I think the physical card games offer an experience that's not available in digital card games, and I think that. Uh, like I think that that's not a experience that's unique to me, and people have shown that that is a sort of universal experience, and that it's different, and that it matters, right? That's why people go, th people will jump through hoops, people will play bad card games to play card games in person and to experience that that in person feel um, in the community, et cetera, et cetera. Like a lot of like, I would say the digital card games pretty much across the board don't uh, sort of don't uh, they don't that's not available if you're if you're playing digital card games um but nevertheless like okay let's say we if we we put on our tinfoil hats we zoomed like you know 10 20 years into the future i do think that printing these cards on cardboard in the current way we consume them is probably going to be 
archaic, right? And there's no reason why a game can't be both digital and physical simultaneously. So you can have the ease of access and um, sort of the low barrier entry that a digital card game offers, but still somehow maintain that in-person tournament feel in that community that you get from a physical card game. I think they actually both work together very, very well. Um, I just think that for some reason right now, these games always tend to sort of be one or the other. Who do you think does... so? One of the things you talked about there was it's the community. Everything, every conversation that we have in this regard, everything, everything always comes back to community. And I, I, anytime I get the opportunity to point that out, I do that, right? Because Mm -hmm. that's that, that is the reason we started Hobbies and Happiness. That's Mm -hmm. why we're here, right? We're having this conversation around a table, right? Um, Who, who do you think does, does it better, right? Um, From the standpoint of building the community. who do who does it better and who's the onus on is the onus on a publisher or the developer of a game to create to help facilitate and create that community or is that on the community themselves to try and facilitate that i think that the onus is on the publisher to at least help facilitate and make sure that the tools are available and that there are no systems that prevent that from happening that are in the game um but at the same time, I don't think that can it that it can ever be successful or will even exist for that matter if it's solely created by the public. I think that it it is a right. grassroots community initiative, and that's the only way that it can even exist. Who are some publishers that have done it really well? well or yeah. games so I, or games. Yeah, I think that Legend Story Studios did it really well. I mean, basically, it was part of their marketing, kind of their marketing gig, right? Like Magic right. caught their Pro Tour and Flesh and Blood right. brought back and like, <laughs> you know, play play, play Flesh and Blood, travel the world. Right. But, you know, right. this, rigor- this rigorous organized play program, it's not cheap. It's really tough to pull off. And, mm-hmm. you know, they did it. They went for it. And I think that they did it relatively successfully. And I, th- I think that it like that is what has facilitated the Flesh and Blood community is – the organized play, in my opinion. Like, I think mm-hmm. that it's really important to have aspirational content in games. It's important to have pro tours. It's important to have worlds. It's important to have something mm-hmm. that players can, if they sink their time into it, they can be rewarded by competing or achieving or beating this thing. If that doesn't exist, then games are, in my opinion, mostly like pure hedonism, right? They're just there for the enjoyment. So as soon as your game mm-hmm. is not enjoyable, people stop playing it. Like, mm-hmm. I want a reason to play your game when it's not fun. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah yeah that's that's kind of the same thing that that uh char- tan and gray okay it's charmer not tan and grace i'm sorry i always get them confused <laughs> man <laughs> i thought it was the same person <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get we'll get to him in a second where he talked about the carrot and the stick right um you know g- give me that carrot give me that reason to play your game one of the reasons i never played artifact did you did you play artifact at all nope okay right before my i guess time. Okay, so I guess one of the reasons Artifact failed was, um, I guess one of the many reasons, it didn't give you a reason to play the game. One of the things I think Marvel Snap does a really good job at is giving you a reason to play. Like, I'll log in for the day, create a couple, you know, finish a few of the daily the daily missions, get my in-game currencies, and then I, I, played, I played the game all 15 minutes today, and I maxed out everything that I'm able to max out for, for the day. And like, even if I didn't have fun or, or it was not enjoyable, I was still able to collect something in game. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, I ha- I'm having a lot of fun with Marvel snap. Um, but you know, you, 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 you hit it on the head. Um, like w- would you agree that stuff like that is, is very important to the overall success of a game? 
So I think it's important to delineate between the carrot on the stick and aspirational content. Because I think that Marvel Snap does carrot on the stick really well. They give you great reasons to log in. They reward you consistently for your efforts. And there's a recurring theme of that makes you want to keep coming back. But Marvel Snap is actually one of the worst games, in my opinion, when it comes to aspirational content. Because once you hit mm-hmm. max rank, once you hit infinite, the game actually gets worse. A lot worse. Because <laughs> first of all, the MMR, like the whole hidden MMR system and the matchmaking system breaks down so you can end up into like this, this bot low um there is no post infinite system right now like there's nothing to do there's no reason to play there's nothing to do so like what the vast majority of players in marvel snap do that are you know grinding or achieving the highest rank or you know whatever they hit infinite and they stop playing for the month and that's a terrible system. They're actually yeah. fixing it on this next patch or trying to fix it. They're uh, adding a leaderboard, adding like a skill-based rating. And then they're adding this um, conquest mode, which is like the battle mode. But um, now it, that's its own rank system. Mm-hmm. So you How- get to do it all over again. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's going to be a lot. <laughs> 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 that How, game exhausts now, me. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, how... So I was going to phrase the question, like, how important is that? But it, let's let, let's talk about that in the context of digital card games and, fi- and physical card games. Digital card games have a have a huge leg up over physical card games when it comes to when it comes to uh, stuff like that. Like they can mm-hmm. figure all that stuff out uh, kind of on the fly and they'd be like, all right, well, that's in the next patch. It's going to be live next week. And then you'll have immediate mm-hmm. access to it. Whereas physical card games, when, when, when do you do that? All right. So we have, we announced our BNR and then the next term you're going to play in that's in what a month. And then you'll be able to see it. I mean, can, can you talk about like how important that kind of stuff is in digital over physical and like, how can physical card games kind of essentially keep up with that kind of advantage that digital card games have? Well, I think it's a testament to how important playing cards in person and that experience alone is because I think that almost in every way, physical card games are way worse than digital card games. They're bad in terms of content. There's nothing to do on a day-to-day basis. And I think that um, they're actually pretty freaking hard to play, right? You need another human being. It's like, how do you like digital card games solve a lot of problems that physical card games have. There's just, it's this weird thing where digital card games fixed, I would say almost all the problems, but then they lost the essence, right? They lost what made Mm -hmm. it special and they can't get it. They can't get it back. Um, But I think it's, I think it's really important for, for the digital card games specifically. Um, And I, I think the way Marvel snap does it is, is really, really good. Like I think Marvel snap content, is amazing in terms of not in terms of the daily stuff, but the fact that we get a new card released every week, we get a new season pass every month. It's like, I would love to find a reason to not log into that game, but I can't like <laughs> sometimes it feels like a freaking job. Out and, of spite, log in, yeah. don't log in out of spite. <laughs> in terms of like, yeah. So Marvel snap is, is funny because in terms of the, the, the monthly reset of the rank is like, now they're adding conquest mode. It's like this, the infinite rank grind, because I'm currently I'm not in bot elo, so I basically I play only people from seventy to hundred, and it is, it's tough. Like it's it's a grind for me, and like yeah. I don't know when they add conquest mode, it's just gonna double up my grind, and I just. <laughs> mm-hmm. I can't stop doing it. It, it takes up like, the first week <laughs> of my month every month. Well, are you enjoying? Like, do you enjoy it? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. <laughs> The silence tough, says it all, guys. Tough question, well, right? 
Well, question. I mean, it's it's just it, and it goes to what we were talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Like the whole sustainability versus an enjoy enjoyable thing. Like it's mm-hmm. like I, I I okay, I I I was I was lecturing my son this morning. <laughs> Uh, my, my son's not feeling well. He We've got to give him some medicine. He does not like taking this medicine. So, yeah, put two and two together. You, you figure, you figure mm-hmm. out how that went, okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to explain to him. I'm like, you know, Nolan, there's some times in life where we have to do things we don't want to do. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to take the medicine because he doesn't like how it tastes. I'm like, Nolan. Welcome to the I, real world. Exactly. I'm like, I have to go to a job that I don't, I don't necessarily want to go to, but I have to go to the job so I can get paid and pay for your medicine and pay for your food and provide for you, right? Like he's like, don't pay for my medicine; it's bad. <laughs> Solve that problem, right? Fixed. <laughs> but like, I don't want, and I think I think as content creators, and you know, if we're playing a card game, like I don't want that. I don't think any of us want it to become that feeling, right? We mm. we we at some point. We we hope we have we have a fun time and it's enjoyable all the time. But mm. I mean, the reality situation it's not always enjoyable. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's not. It's it's really it, honestly. So the thing is, is like, do I enjoy grinding from seventy to a hundred every single month and going through an experience that some other players? doing that same grind don't because the matchmaking system is currently broken. So sometimes some people will play more bots. Some people play less bots. Some people play only bots and play no bots. So it can be arbitrarily harder for some people and arbitrarily easy for some people. And nobody likes it. Both sides, both ends of the spectrum don't mm-hmm. like it. People don't like playing only bots. People don't like playing only people because it feels unfair. Do I enjoy doing it? Honestly, it's a little bit stressful, but I enjoy my podcast. I enjoy being good at the game. And I enjoy understanding the game. And that grind makes me understand the game. And like we talk about doing things we don't want to do you know you're in a weird place in life when that when when you're doing something you don't want to do and it's a video game like my girlfriend (laughs) so i'll get i'll get i'll get i'll get frustrated and stressed and you know because like i'm just really trying to get it over like you know get it done for the month she's like why don't you just stop playing i was like i just it's I just can't put into words. That's a good point, it's, though. It's like the whole thing of I've been playing a game all day. I've been getting destroyed for the last eight hours. For some reason, I can just not put it down. I will play that one more game so I'm not on tilt. Except then you go on that losing then, spree yeah, again, yeah, yeah. and you're even more upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. S- since we're on since we're on the topic of Marvel Snap, um, one of the questions I asked Jim a while ago because have you even opened? Have you even played? I still the game haven't. Yet? I thought you we were going to do something. So yeah, we're <laughs> we, we're trying to. So um, one of the questions I asked him was I explained how the whole collection system works, and I know with this most recent with this most recent patch they added this. You get a free Series Three card every month. Um, I have mixed feelings about that, um, but as as a card game player. What like what's your what was your initial take on a system where that didn't let you collect the cards you wanted to collect mm-hmm. how you would normally collect them? So I think that the system is so fundamentally wrong that when they say that they think that the unique collections are a good or a feature of the game, it's a lie. Like I think that they're being disingenuous, and I think that they know that there is almost no card gamer out there that wants to play a card game and not have access to the cards. There is nothing that feels good about playing against a player and losing to a card that you simply can't acquire. And when the only way you can acquire that is through your wallet in a reasonable amount of time, it feels bad. And Marvel Snap tries to signal to us that this is a feature of the game. This is a good thing. It's a, it's a feature, a not thing. a bug. Yeah, it sucks. It, everything about it is bad. <laughs> everything about it is bad. And Marvel Snap is one of the most 
disgusting and just prohibitively expensive predatory <laughs> games that has ever existed. I will happily say that. More than Diablo Immortal? <laughs> Holy cow. Way more. Way oh more. Oh my goodness. Wow. 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 More, more, than, more than Genshin Impact, more than Gotcha Games, more than, more than anything that has ever I've ever put my hands on. But I think they created the best card game that has ever existed. Period. Isn't it interesting wow. how those two things, those two thoughts coincide around the exact same game? Wow. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I can't wait to play this game. <laughs> <laughs> and then not be able then, to use the cards I want and then like really hate this game, but still like the game. You can play, you can play, you can play it in my account and then still not have access yeah. to the cards I want to have access oh, to. Okay, okay. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. If you were to start playing, if you picked it up right now, and you're, mm-hmm. how how much money do you think you'd have to put in to get a full collection? Just ballpark it. What, what do you think that the the uh, the expense is to acquire all the cards? Uh, if it's less than a hundred thousand, it's not as bad as Diablo Immortal. A hundred thousand. Well, it's it's over a thousand. <laughs> I think it's under three thousand, maybe, but it's also time gated. It's terrible. Okay. It's so, so much it's, money. Where did that? Where so did like that? Five k roughly to get everything, but still time. I would say it's more like two. It's probably more like two, but it's going to be time gated for everything. Oh, that's not that bad. That's pretty bad. Oh, I'm thinking like modern. I'm like, I'll drop two grand. I have everything on modern. For like modern. sign me up. <laughs> but hang on, where where did that value come from? I'm curious as to where that number came from. Uh, personal. Do you know. Uh, yeah, my personal bank account, unfortunately. <laughs> my personal bank account. And my personal okay. bank account. Okay. Understood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the difference between modern, so like, yes, magic, and but you also get to keep the cars, and then oh. you can sell oh, yeah. those cars. You can sell them. <laughs> I'll just sell the account. I don't care if that account gets banned because I'll already have the money. <laughs> so it's whatever. Okay, well, hang on, hang on. We, 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 we brought up... This this conversation has gone so many different places, and I will tell you, like this Brendan, what, this is this is a great conversation. I feel like this is the first conversation where I've just been picking up how this conversation has been yeah. going and not sticking to the script. This is this yeah. has been great. great. Um, but we we talk about modern now. Jim has a question. We know we mm-hmm. okay. Jim, just go just yeah. just just ask your question right. about magic. Right. Okay. So I know you don't have a whole lot of experience with magic, but you still know a, a bit. So. And, and we're already like 50 minutes in roughly. So it's not going to really set how the, how rest, the rest of the of conversation, conversation goes. Because this is already a great conversation. Yeah, it's already great. <laughs> but in Magic, what is your favorite color and or color combination? Yeah, so I think it's 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 interesting because I think the colors, uh, the colors defi- the color identities and what they do in Magic definitely changes. You progress through the format so the card pool expands. But unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for you, I think my favorite color is blue. Yeah, it's fortunate um, for him. Yeah. My man. And you probably pair that with white if you had to add a little thing on the side there. Add a little bit more control. Yep. I get it. Yeah. Um, now, I can't remember if you've said this or if Flake said this, but fun is a zero-sum game. <laughs> yeah, well, I think Flake got that for me. It's uh, is that yeah, fun, is defi- <laughs> yeah, fun is definitely zero-sum. I also believe that it's finite, and I will be having all of it. Uh, <laughs> 100%. I love playing uh, control mirror matches. Yeah, the, the, so those are fun. Yeah, in Flesh and Blood, there's definitely some decks, and yeah, some decks that I don't know. Some me and me and my testing group are no, are known for that are, I mean, they are worse than Control Magic. They are very very uninteractive. They don't prison people out, but like they just mm. they don't play. They legitimately the deck legitimately does not play Flesh and Blood. 
It does not play. I'm oh. very interested. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I, I'm I'm interested too. Um because so so here here's my question. Like, how does control how does control work with, with flesh and blood? Mm-hmm. Is it is it tied normally to a specific uh color, class, hero, or how how does it typically work? Because with magic, it's basically if you want to play control, you basically you're running some form mm-hmm. of blue somewhere. Yeah, so I would say that flesh and blood in, to an extent, doesn't have control, at least doesn't have the usual archetype of control. What it does have is attrition. So because Flesh and Blood is a game where your your the cards you attack with are also your resource cards and um, there are no lands and things like that, it's like the car, like this version of control is usually attrition-based where you're running the opponent out of threats or even running out of f- cards completely, so fatigue. I think most executions of control in Flesh and Blood suck they, they like they're not cool for anybody like they actually they're terrible to play they're like they're just blocking they're really really boring for everybody um mm-hmm. it's not fun like magic where you get so far ahead and the other person has to sit there and it's painful basically they get to play their game but then they just don't win at the end um mm-hmm. there has been some good decks some decent control decks in the past but nowadays it's mostly based around fatigue which is a really lame thing in flesh and blood and then um Honestly, most of the quote unquote control decks are just like tempo mid range decks because this there's a wizard hero called Icelander that is in the sort of control uh, theme of ice, but uh, also has like the most quantitatively, I don't know, quantitative, the highest quantitative expressed cards in terms of like value and also expressed attack value than any other class in the game. It can also play an instant speed of its arsenal. So, it's hitting from all angles, and yeah, it's it's a great deck. You'd love it. You'd love it. People hate playing against it. <laughs> I'd love this deck. <laughs> That's the only reason I need. People hate playing against this deck. Yeah. That, that is very much going to be up up Jim's lane, hundred percent, absolutely. Um, okay, I, I want to bring this back to Lorcana for a little bit. There's a couple a couple things that I want to touch on. Um, so we, we were we were talking about like organized play, um, and uh, wh- what was what was the term that you used? We we talked about the carrot the carrot on the stick, but needing the, the needing aspirational to have, the yeah. aspirational content, sort of the what what would be in a video game. You would co- equate this to end game, right? This is right. end game, but in a card game. Like I need a pro tour. I need worlds. There has to be something, even if it's my local my LGS's monthly tournament. I need something that I can aspire to achieve. What's the end game that you want to see for Lorcan? Yeah, so it's tough because I don't think <clears throat> I don't think the game is, or at least the, the developers of the game are motivated to mimic a, a flesh and blood system, which would be a robust, robust organized play system. Mm-hmm. But I do hope for at the very least we we know they're going to be supporting local game stores, so there should be weekly play stuff like that, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But I hope that they at least have a world championship. I think that it makes sense. I think that, you know, these things are, these big tournaments like world championships or pro tours, they're, they're not plus EV on the direct bottom line for the company, but I think they work as great marketing tools and they give people reasons to play the game for a long time, to get good at the game and to, uh, to really sink their time into it. So I hope for the very least have for world championship. If we have a world championship, where do you think that would be? Do you think that would be at Disney World? The castle. Surely it's at Disney World, right? It just makes so much sense. <laughs> How so? How let down do you think everybody was would be if they announce yeah. a world championship and it's not at Disney World? Yeah, it's, it's at in Disneyland. Like, it's in a convention center <laughs> in, in Baltimore or something. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. So what's what is so we we talked about the end game for Lorcana. What's what's one thing that what if you if you had to boil down one thing that you want to see come out of Lorcana, what would it be? Would it be that end game, or is there something else that you want to see come from the game of Lorcana? Yeah, so honestly, it's the thing I'm most worried about Lorcana is I don't want a glorified board game, which I think a lot of card games are. It's kind of hard to figure out where the line is drawn. And I think it's drawn in terms of depth and complexity, but also in terms of like, I guess, where you can play it. Like uniformity, right? Like, can I play, the, I can play this on my kitchen table, but can I also play the same kind of game, but with a different level of depth at a big tournament or at world championships, et cetera, et cetera. And I really don't want a glorified board game. I don't want a shallow, flat, sort of money grab-esque Disney IP you know, piece of crap. Like that would suck. That would really suck. That would be a huge disappointment. And honestly, there's, there's some things about Lorcana that currently really worry me in terms of like them going that direction. Like Ravensburger is a board game, uh, board game publisher. And there's a big mm-hmm. difference between board games and card games. And honestly, the biggest one for me right now is like the damage counters. Dude, damage counters freaking suck. Persistent damage in card games is terrible. There's a reason why it exists in digital card games and not in physical card. If you've ever yeah. sat with a physical card game and as you as you pass your turn, you're like, okay, tick up my counter on my 15 different things, readjust my life totals, you have five dice on your cards. Everything about that is freaking terrible. There's a reason why card games cut that out. And the fact that, that like Lorcana is including damage counters in these boxes, I'm just like, Ravensburger. Like that's a very board game thing is like damage counters. Mm-hmm. It's archaic. It doesn't, mm-hmm. it, it's terrible. So it's pretty know. rough on Pokemon still. Yeah. Like yep. it's been a thing since it came out and I, I play it every now and again in, in paper and I'm just like. I have no room on my board. There's all this stuff. It's I'm not even enjoying myself. But on, on their digital client, it's uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So um, one thing one thing I talked to Flake a little bit about was when we first heard about this game, um, I was very cautious, right? Because it's from Ravensburger, and one of the things that Ravensburger, one of their games that I'm a fa- I'm a fan of, I, I do like. We we've got we've got a lot of content around this game is Disney Villainous. <clears throat> Disney Villainous is a is a board game, but it's also a card game. I classify it as a card game. We would technically classify it as a card game, but yeah. most people would classify it as a board game. Um, are you are you are you are you familiar with uh, Villainous at all? No, honestly, I've almost like I've almost played. I've not played many board games. Right. I really struggle with uh, not. Sort of, I play my turn. Now I sit there and wait for you to play your turn. You take that to four, so like Commander Magic or anything like that. My attention span is, oof, it's gone. So, so you, so you like the one v one stuff. You, you do not like uh, multiplayer. One v one actually is already pushing the boundaries of my attention span. Like if it's not, (laughs) we're talking like Marvel Snap, like just zoomer level attention it's bad (laughs) all right understood understood so when when we found out about this game um uh, when we found out about Lorcana, when i heard it was ravensburger i was not happy at the moment because the way we viewed villainous was we analyzed that game through the lens of a card gamer and a Mm -hmm. card game it is not built like a like a traditional card game. So we've had mm-hmm. many complaints about it because of that. So I gave it the benefit of the doubt and said, okay, 
we're evaluating we're evaluating this game from the from the mind of a card gamer where it's not really trying to imitate or mimic an actual card game so they're trying to build a board game so i'm like all right i'll give them that but now they're coming out with an actual card game i was very hesitant and very mm -hmm. nervous <clears throat> so it's interesting you say that because i had the exact same hesitancy okay mm -hmm. now i'm very curious you you talk about card games and board games what makes a card game a card game in your opinion what makes a card game a card game? That's a hard question. It I is. Know. I know. I think if we talk about like what distinguishes distinguishes it from a board game, is I think that generally they have more seamless and streamlined play, right? Like, like, like the whole the dice thing, the the counters, the per, these lack uh, sort of the uh, the independent turns, like stuff like that. I think is making its way out of at least modern card games. Like you look at Flesh and Blood, it is a hundred percent persistent. There is no my turn, your turn. There is a turn cycle, and there is the active turn player. Right. And Marvel Snap expands upon this. But yeah, I think the card, uh, the board games more keep that sort of lax kind of casual feel where card games are a bit more high speed. <laughs> it's just kind of funny to say, I guess. Yeah. It, so do, do you think do you think and, and I know you guys have talked about this on, on your on on Podcana. Do you think it's going to be that shared uh, that shared turn uh, cycle or do you think it's going to be my turn, your turn? Mm, that one I'm not sure about because of the creature combat. Um, I think that there is definitely a my turn, your turn. Well, okay, to answer your question, there's definitely my turn, your turn because there's like this untap step. I guess it could also be shared, but I do think that my my question is less about like my turn, your turn because Flesh and Blood technically has my turn, your turn. It's whether the opponent can actively interact on your turn, mm -hmm. right? So making it this right. like pseudo simultaneous turn. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I think they will have that. I think that combat will be interactive. Um, one of the people we had, Sasha Markovic, who's been doing a lot of theory crafting for the game, he's um, he thinks that it won't be because it's more complicated. And I think that a lot of Sasha's theory crafting thesis comes off the basis of like if they can simplify it, they will. And mm -hmm. simultaneous turns, priority, I don't think there'll be priority and instant speed interaction, but for example, priority, instant speed interaction, simultaneous turns, all of that makes a card game more complicated. And I do think that Ravensburger is going for a more simplified game. Although I, one thing that I'm really passionate about is I don't think the Disney IP is actually directed at children. I think it's directed at middle-aged men because... <laughs> <laughs> Talk, tell me about kids. Okay, so let's look at some of the cards in Lorcana, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Robin Hood. Uh, Robin, Hood. Robin Hood. That's like yep. 50 Robin Hood. Robin, Robin Hood, <laughs> Hades. Robin Hood and Hades. Yeah. Those characters are from VHS. No kid, yep. this, no kid this day is watching Robin Hood or Hades. They're watching Mr. Beast put his hand mm -hmm. on a car and see who can yeah. hold it on there. Yeah, those kids like, don't even know how to spell VHS either. Yeah. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. What's what's what is the most recent IP that they featured on a card? Lilo and Stitch. Elsa. Uh, the most Elsa, recent one yeah. was like, yeah, there was Elsa. Tigger that Tigger that came out, and then the I can't remember the, the dude that looks like a shark because I haven't even seen the movie with him. Oh, um, Gantu. Gantu is from Gantu. Lilo and Stitch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm more saying I'm more, I'm more saying the the most recent film or most recent movie mm -hmm. that the character would have appeared in. Mm -hmm. So he, I think that. Elsa? I think it's Frozen. Elsa. Yeah, Elsa. Frozen. Elsa is Frozen? Yeah. So I think it's Mickey Mouse. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I just learned that about that character opposite, the other day. The opposite. <laughs> just first learned about the character. Get out of here. Okay, I'll stop. Yeah. <laughs>
But I think that IP is for is for us. I don't think it's for kids. Uh, yeah, but I do think they will build a system that you can play with your kids because it's an approachable IP, um, uh-huh. which is a huge, a huge marketing sell for the game. I know a lot of people mm-hmm. picking it up for that reason. Mm-hmm. But I just I remember I was having this I was like having this like epiphany the other day. And I was like, dude, kids don't watch Disney movies. Like they watch shorts on YouTube. Like, well, so it's it, it, it it's funny because this exact conversation is one that has been had in at a lot of different Lorcana circles, right? Um, you know, the I think the initial the initial take was that this game is going to be directed at children and not middle aged men, as, as as you said. That's but there's way. but well, but there's a lot of people who who disagree because again, like you said, look at the IP. I I for one, um, um. I'm looking forward to this to introduce my kids to card games because mm-hmm. we're a big Disney family. Um, we, I actually do watch Disney movies with my kids. We have Friday night movie nights. I've talked about this a lot. Um, every Friday night, we watch a movie as a family. We have pizza for dinner. Um, I think was, we watch Hercules. One of the last ones we watched was Great Mouse Detective. So I'm introducing them to the old, to the <laughs> older movies, the ones that I watched when I was a kid. Um, so I'm getting them there, get, getting them exposed to those. But I think you're right. Like, I don't think if if kids are not being exposed to these through their parents, then they're probably not just going to go out and watch them. Yeah. Yeah. What, what but do you think? it's still an approachable IP, right? Like, it's still yes. like it's still a good IP. And I think that, you know, if it is directed at, you know, like people like us, um, if we have kids, like it's a great, if it is a simple enough game, it's going to be a great mm-hmm. game. It's very approachable. It's not flesh and blood. Like it's not this, you know, gory sort of just kind of dark setting and, you know, complicated turns. Like it, it can be an introductory product and it could be, you know, introductory for kids to get more exposed to that IP as well that have it. Do you, th- do you think that's good for the marketplace, the TCG marketplace to have a game like flesh and blood on the more strategic end, the more high end side, and then have a game like, let's just say Lorcana is going to be on that opposite end. So you have that breadth, that div- that, that breadth of strategic depth, if you want it, or if you want a lighter game, do you think that's important for a space? Yeah, I think it is. And I think that there is a opportunity in the market. And I think that that's honestly I, don't know, I think that may be part of the reason for the inception of Lorcana. I think we're in a bit of a TCG bull market, I guess, and there's a bunch of TCGs <laughs> getting created. Speaking about Team Covenant, um, I remember I was at Zach's house maybe like uh, six months, year ago, and he was telling me, he was like, dude, a couple of years ago, the amount of new TCGs that would email us product and you know, try out the game was so-and-so. Now it's like 100x. <laughs> Apparently, wow. there's so many freaking games. That's crazy. Early 2000s, Dan. We're back. Well, we've okay. And this is a question that I've asked a lot of people: <laughs> was I feel like we are in a TCG renaissance? Like we, yep. I feel like we're back in that late 90s, early 2000s. So, I mean, it's pretty clear. Like that's what the market is saying. Everyone and their mother is making a card game. Well, yeah. here we, we are. We are. We are. Yeah. <laughs> it means it means there's going to be a lot of bad card games coming out too. A lot of card games that are going to come and then burn out quickly and mm-hmm. uh, flicker away. Do you think? Do you think the? Do you think we're going to see these more bad card games than we did in the early '90s, late 2000s, or do you think a lot of people in the space have seen what's happened, seen what's happened in the market, learned lessons from the games that have succeeded, and we're going to see more winners now, or do you think it's still going to be we're just going to see a, see a ton of losers? 
Um, I still think we'll see a ton of losers because I do believe that the bar for what makes a good card game is a bit relative. And as as the sort of collective levels up, if something falls below that base threshold of what people consider good, it's still a stinker. And I think that a lot of games, even if they are fundamentally good, they will just be unimaginative or a bit samey or they just won't be able to compete with something that's just people see as better than it and will also just kind of be a stinker. But I don't think we're going to go back to like the absolute just craziness that was some of those older card games where they just like kind of don't work. <laughs> like, I don't think that'll be less likely. How long do you think before the big three is no more? So, you know, the big three, at least in the West, it's been Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! Magic for the longest time have been the top three uh, high selling collectible games on the market. Um, how long do you think it's going to be those three or do you think, do you think that's going to expand or do you think we're going to have, um, a new big three or how do you think that's going to play out? Big four. Yeah, it's tough because, um, a lot of those games, they have a lot of history behind them and that actually contributes a lot to their, I think, ongoing success. Like I think magic is kind of, uh, it's, it's. I like Magic, but I think it's kind of a bad game. And I know everybody harks on the resource system, but a lot of a lot about Magic is like you wouldn't see that in modern car design. But Magic gives an experience that you can't get anywhere else. But it all, and it has a history that I don't think other card games obviously they don't have. And I, what's really right. interesting about Magic to me is like there is so much that you can dig into with Magic if you come yeah. in right now. There's so much content, history, and just yeah. card like there's so much to do. Um, and like these, they've had they've had this sort of an audience that's grown with them for twenty plus years. And you know, Pokemon and Yu Gi Oh, they have this too. I don't know if we're going to replace the big three. In regards to expanding, I, I don't know either because I can't remember the name. But there's some sort of theory that every every sort of niche and or you know a niche or a kind of market has room for a big three, and that's it. So like you think about like uh, credit cards, it's Visa, Mastercard, Amex, right? And there's like a million other examples where it's always yeah. just like this big three, and people will use this for their sort of market entry thesis as in to create a business in an already saturated or monopolized market is like there's always room for three, right? DoorDash, Uber Eats. I don't know what the third is, but you know it's Grubhub. <laughs> yeah, Grubhub. Grubhub. Yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> So there's always room for three. I, yeah, but I do think the other card games will still have a lot of success and maybe one of those will fall out. Um, but but yeah, the big three, It's I think it's a good spot to be for those card games in terms of longevity. Because Matt, I mean, look at Magic. They can almost do no wrong. It feels like sometimes. <laughs> well, so well, can, but but they can. They, they, they can. Everyone will call them out on it, but they'll still buy products. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like they'll still give them their money, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so for, first mover advantages are real. First mover advantages are real, um, but one thing one thing that um, we've one conversation we've had before with uh, Joey Sinart, uh, he talks a lot about emotional investment, like emotional, like the the emotional investment that people have invested into these card games, like n- you, no company, no brand can come in and take that away, and that's one of the reasons that you know people stay in Magic, you know, we, we talk about there because of that emotional, yeah. those emotions they have invested in in that game. It's the same thing when people were thinking every single new MMO that comes out is going to be the WoW killer. The only thing that's killing WoW is itself. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. no other real way for any new game to come in and just be, oh hey, yeah, we're instantly all better than. World of Warcraft. No, it's not going to happen. Blizzard has to kill their own game. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think we've seen it time and time again. I wonder what it will take for at least one of those to fall out of the big three and for something else to surpass it in terms of like a an annual sales or I don't know what you mm-hmm. would quantify it off. If it is directly just off sales or if it is like, you know, player base, organized play, like the attendance, prize pool, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't know what you would quantify for something to actually break into that group and be the number three. But mm-hmm. like you said, I think that they have a They've got a really strong position where they are, and you know, 100 new card games on the market next year isn't going to change that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think Disney has one of the best shots in terms of coming out strong out of the gate because with that whole emotional investment, they've mm-hmm. they've already been here for what like a hundred years, years? hundred years. So yeah. like, no one, yeah. even these all, even these card games that have been out for close to 30 years, Dan, close to 30 years. Um, can't even come close to the hundred years that Disney has, and it's mm-hmm. again, it's not, it's not new newborn people that are being uh, targeted for this game. It's the middle aged people who have grown mm-hmm. up with it for quite some time. How would you? What do you? How would you sort of describe the dichotomy between a card game's mechanics, playability, and overall quality versus its intellectual property? Like, how important is IP, and can IP make a game on its own? <laughs> I don't I don't think so. There's I, no way. I don't think an IP and, and I've I had the same question thrown at Justin Gary. Justin Gary designed the Ascension deck building game. He's designed a lot of a lot of uh, great games, mm-hmm. but he built his own IPs. Um and I don't think an IP is a big enough sell on its own. And that's why right now I think Lorcana the hype is real for Lorcana, mm-hmm. for Disney Lorcana, because it's like you just talked about that hundred years of IP. But the moment, the moment we get that gameplay, I think that's going to yeah. be the deciding factor of we when we find out how this game actually works. Works, you're going to see people fall off because because they're like, I don't like how this game works. I'm out. The IP really <laughs> just gets people to start looking at it. Yeah. Like, oh, this is cool. I I'm a big fan of Disney. Yep. Okay, they check it out, and if they don't like it, well, then uh, there's only so much the IP is going to do. What do you think, Brendan? I think it'll sell the first set. I don't think it'll keep people around, though. I think the game pe- keeps people around. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there are bad games that have good IPs that have, that have stuck around longer than I think they should have. But mm-hmm. if I look at Marvel Snap, I think Marvel, Marvel Snap has a categorically good IP. But for me, if I was going to talk about my personal experience, there is probably not a worse IP that Marvel Snap could have than Marvel. And this might come as sacrilege <laughs> to, but I just, I did not like Marvel. I didn't like anything about, I didn't know anything about it. And the reason I didn't like it was because of the, like the cinema and the sort of the blitz of Marvel movies. And I was just like, right. I don't like anything about I actually avoided that game. I didn't try to get into the beta, nothing, because I was like, I just don't like Marvel, which is obviously very ignorant of me. Right. But <laughs> when I finally picked up the game, I was like, I don't care what they put on these cards. This is a good game. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, what? What made you keep playing? Like, what? What? Why? Why did you come to that conclusion of the of this is a good game? Yeah, so simultaneous turns, short turns, cutting out the boring parts of card games. It's a really interesting question expanding on that, which is like, I think that what Marvel Snap did in terms of condensing card games is absolutely correct, and it's a, it's just better. But did they lose the essence of a card game in doing that? Because if I look at Marvel Snap and I look at Flesh and Blood, there's no reason why a card game should last 50 minutes, period. I think that you can condense the exciting moments, and it's just better. But we'll see over time if you lose the essence of what makes a card game special and what makes it good when you get when you get down to that condensed model. But we have simultaneous turns. You have this sort of amazing... Uh, 
we talk about the collection thing being crap, but it's only crap because they paywall us so bad. It's actually really good. I love the collection sort of <clears throat> card acquisition thing with like upgrading cards and diff- you know how in Hearthstone 2 where they had like, okay, you can get the gold card. It was like, that was mm-hmm. such BS. That was such a scam. Like in, in Marvel Snap, you have like different variants. They out, they mm-hmm. introduce new artists all the time. Like um, they have bundles, in-game events, like all this stuff that is just so much better than the sort of the competition but the core game system and the core game loop with the snap mechanic with the we both play our turn at the same time the game lasts five minutes i just think it's the best and the lane system too like the lane system the cards the small decks the low variants so much so much about marvel snap i think is uh, i i actually think that they define their own genre which is pretty Mm -hmm. unique i think that they Mm -hmm. created a genre when they launched Mm -hmm. that game What's you, you talk about the essence of a card game? Well, what what is the essence of a card game? I have no idea. It's so like that's the thing. <laughs> it's so nebulous, right? Yeah, exactly. It's so it's so nebulous, and I don't think we're gonna know f- until Marvel Snap just doesn't provide like sort of burns out in terms of like a, keeping the people's attention that would play a game like a Hearthstone or like a Magic Online or a Magic Arena or something like that, mm-hmm. like. I don't playing Marvel Snap. I I look back at these other card games. I'm like, there's no reason why I'm going to sit in a card game for 50 minutes. Like land go doesn't make sense. It shouldn't be a turn cycle in a card game. It doesn't make any sense. It's a waste of time. You can cut it out. And Marvel Snap did that perfectly. But when we condense everything, when we make every turn have to feel like a dopamine hit, try to make every decision matter. Does it lead to that situation where it feels like no decisions matter? Does it make it feel flat? Does it make it feel boring? The answer is I don't know, but I think that's the only thing that can stop Marvel Snap from being a categorically better card game. How how does it, how does a control archetype work in a game that doesn't last fifty minutes? Because histor- historically, when you talk about control, right, you talk about okay, well this this match is going to go to time. Mm-hmm. Every single match that I play with this deck will go to time as, as mirror matches. So how how in your mind does does a control archetype look? in a condensed game like mm-hmm. forget i mean let's let's talk about it in terms of marvel snap but then mm-hmm. also like looking outside of marvel snap in a game where you're you land go cutting out things that don't need to be there yeah so it would extend past marvel snap we can use an example so disruption right so i'm sort of affecting your ability to play your cards on sort of the curve that you want to or at the exact mm-hmm. time you want to or on the location you want to i'm taxing your cards right i'm making them more expensive i'm also getting asymmetric information right like i'm seeing the cards you're going to play before you do like daredevil or kang where i get to see your turn and we get to replay it and we get to do Kang it was interesting Ken, i i i've came I'm across kang the other day it was crazy it was really cool i'd like yeah, Kang is my favorite card in the game because it's it's really debatable whether the opportunity cost of having it in your deck is worth it, but it prevents you with a scenario where you have an asymmetric risk because you get to see what the other player is going to do, and this is on turn six, and you get to restart and do it again. But you've presented the, op- the opposing player with the scenario with like the two donkeys between the doors or whatever. You've shown them the door where they they've played their winning play. You've restarted the turn and you haven't left the game, which signals to them that their winning play that was last turn is a losing play now. So they switch, but that means that they get to play two plays and that they've they've effectively like gotten less. It's it's weird, right? But it's mitigated by the fact that you can snap people on turn six by playing Kang, and then they leave and you get the cubes. But if you snap them, they have to stay in, and then Kang restarts the turn. It unsnaps. That's the BS of Kang. It unsnaps. Oh, the it, game, unsnaps? So the, it unsnaps. It oh, unsnaps. So I didn't roll. know that. Yeah, oh, so you wow. free roll. Yeah, you wow. free roll. Uh, 
So it's like an asymmetric risk. It's really interesting. But yeah, I think that like, you know, taxing your opponent, getting more information, disrupting where they can play their cards or when they can play their cards, et cetera, is sort of what control is in a game like that. All right. I don't think we've talked about this. Um, we, we may we may have talked about this topic on the podcast before. You might remember, may, might not. Um, you had a you had a tweet out not that long ago talking about gold fishing and how important or not important you think it is. Um, I was wondering if you could talk about gold fishing um, and ex- kind of go into what gold fishing is. And I'm curious as to how important do you think gold fishing is in uh, trading card games. So. It's funny because what that what that it was a short and it was cut from a part where the the co-host of mine he goldfishes a lot but I I actually don't but I do specifically for the the hero that we talked about which is Kano in Flesh and Blood because Kano is such a one sided solitaire experience that mm-hmm. subjecting an opposing player especially in my testing team to sit on the other side of the board is actually not helpful for anybody because it really doesn't matter what they do right like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you're playing Kano so that's a deck that you can goldfish right and i think repetition and pattern recognition is how people become successful with that deck it's it's i would say it's not a complicated deck but it's seen as a complicated deck that's a bit of a glass cannon right can fold to a lot of a lot of opposing things um so because that it's it's not played very much but it does come down to being able to recognize patterns being able to do simple math based off heuristics and knowing when you can combo off and when you can't i think the goldfishing gives you the repetition that you need to be able to recognize those things. Mm, okay. I, uh, when, when I first heard about the term goldfishing, I thought it was really weird, but then <laughs> yeah. I, I started doing it. Do, do, do you know where did the term, where did that term originate? Cause no I idea. don't know. Okay. I don't, <laughs> no. do you know? MTG goldfish. MTG goldfish. I have no idea. I, have, I just know I've been doing it since like around 2005 <laughs> with Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> I didn't even know didn't what know it was, was called. called. I yeah. just would do it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like everybody just does it, just doesn't yeah. know what it's called yeah. at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I want to, I want to talk a little bit about casting before, uh, before this is this, we're at an hour and 20 almost. Holy cow. This Perfect. is, this is crazy. All right. Let's, let's talk about casting. Um, so mm-hmm. you talk, um, you first got into card games with flesh and blood, which is still blowing my mind. How did you get into casting? How did that come mm-hmm. about? Yeah. So it's, Pretty much through podcasting, first of all, like that, that's, that's the path of how, you, of how you get there um, in terms of being able to cast. I did get a few earlier opportunities to cast um, in Flesh and Blood. So there was a, a 2020 pre-COVID, which if you lived through 2020, wasn't much of 2020. So like very early COVID, uh, very early COVID where they put on an in-person tournament in New Zealand um, before everything got shut down and they needed some casters. And me and me, Sasha, and my co-host Hayden Dale, we did it virtually so we cast that tournament so that was like my first exposure then i used to run this discord gauntlet every week where we'd have like 60 to 80 players like come play through a webcam based flesh and blood tournament (laughs) um yeah we put up like a case every time and i would cast it with my friend my friend dante and we did that for months um which is insane i I can't believe i did i did that nowadays because it was (laughs) ridiculous Um, took up like eight hours of my monday at night um but yeah, so that 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 definitely helped and gave me like a little bit of material that I could at least you know show um, show whatever powers may be that I had done it before. <laughs> but, but yeah, my first my first casting gig, my kind of my first casting gig was the World Championships with Flesh and Blood. That was like the really? first. 
Yeah, that was like the first kind of gig I did. I did some smaller stuff, like one smaller thing. Like I said, it was the the virtual calling and then mm-hmm. one thing in Columbus with Realm Games. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, ultimately it was pretty much the world championships of Flesh and Blood. And I think I got that opportunity because for the past, you know, two years it's been now, I've been speaking about the game from like a strategic point of view to, mm-hmm. you know, to these players. So I think that, yeah, I mean, that that's what helped me for sure. Cause I, it's an interesting topic because getting into casting now, um, especially after the scene sort of develops is it's really, it's a really, really, it's really tough and it's, it's a grind for sure. So I was lucky enough to have the podcast. So that, that, that it, again, we talk about opportunity with this scene, Lorcana, right? Mm-hmm. Like I know that's, that's been talked about in some circles about people ta- th- thinking about casting. I know Flake has mentioned it. I don't know. Would, would you do it? Would, would yeah, you want to sure. do that? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I like I would be I would be lying if I didn't say that's part of the motivation for having the podcast is being able to help facilitate opportunities like that. Like there's a re I mean we can get into it of like why I switched from pro play, pro play to casting, but casting is the I think if you can if you enjoy it, uh if other people think you're good at it, et cetera, et cetera, it's a great way to sustainably interact with the game over a long period of time. Mm, yeah. Um so look man what what was my question oh i know what the question was okay well we'll get into that in one second um but how did that first casting gig go being at the world you said world championships mm-hmm. how how did that go for you um it would yeah it went well so i <laughs> the only thing that didn't go well was they <laughs> i was a little bit loud and my my microphone needed to be turned down a little bit on the back end which it wasn't i heard it didn't end up being bad but i was louder than i would have expected it's because i'd done a previous gig like a week before um a small one but i had been too quiet because the mic was too quiet and i was just a little bit no. a little bit too loud but outside of that it was like what are it was the absolutely audio smooth. engineers doing <laughs> Come on, <guys>. <laughs> <laughs> i was actually yeah i was pretty i was pretty bummed when i heard how loud i was but anyway it was it was it was smooth it was it was smooth sailing to be honest um okay. i i tested for that tournament like i was gonna play it so i tested with my professional team helped them prepare etc and i was doing i was doing analysis so it it felt very natural i was mm-hmm. also casting alongside you know, my friends that I've made for the past two years, right? So Tana Grace, Flake, awesome. Brian Gottlieb, uh, Doa, all that. So yeah, it was it was really easy to be honest. <laughs> I was gonna say how how easier how easier does it does does an experience make when you're doing it alongside your friends like that? A thousand times easier, especially a public speaking, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially a public speaking thing where you're like trying to regulate this sort of tonality of your voice, and you know you want to be able to provide like meaningful commentary and you like. It, I think that that's a play like that's a that's a role that you can fill and it's easy to get insecure uh, mm-hmm. and not be confident and I think that those two things are key to putting on a successful mm-hmm. broadcast and you're providing value to the audience so being alongside people that I was comfortable with and people I consider my friends was like I mean you can't ask for more as a first time experience. Mm-hmm. So you you talked about stepping back from professional play a little bit because of casting was casting a big reason. Um, that you kind of set back from playing professionally? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think it's pretty much the main reason I stepped away uh, from professional play. I had, um, when I went to the tournament in Austin in 2019 and I met James and I met Sasha at that, at that mm-hmm. first tournament, I had told James, I was like, my ultimate goal in this game is to be a caster. And then it, at the first big US tournament back in 2021 <laughs> in Vegas, they offered me a casting gig and I said, no. <laughs> Because <laughs> I thought I was gonna win, <laughs> I thought oh, I was gonna win the tournament. Wow. 
Um, so I said no. And then it took me about a year after that to finally get something when I came back around to it. But that, it, yeah, it, ultimately, you know, strategically, it's way better to take the first one because once that group yep. of casters kind of gets assigned, like it's, t- yep. it's tough. And I had to be lucky, lucky to do it. Yeah. But yeah, they did offer me at the Vegas one. And I, yeah, I so said funny. no. I came off the back of, um, we had these regional tournaments called Road to Nationals. I came off the back of winning five of them in a row, which I don't know if anybody else did. I think there was maybe one guy in New York that did it. So like I was, that was when I was at the top of my game and I was like, okay, I, I think I'm going to win this. I want to be a pro player. And then Michael Hamilton started playing flesh and blood. So I quit. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. How he's like, my end game was to be a caster. That's what I want to (laughs) do. I'm going to not cast this tournament. <laughs> well, okay. What was going through your head at that at that time? Were you did you on was was it just because you really thought you were going to win? Is that kind of your your mindset at yeah. the time? I really thought I was going to win. I put a lot of effort into it. I was the best I'd ever been at that point, and I thought, I mean, as arrogant as it sounds, I thought I was better than everybody else, and mm-hmm. that's why I tur- that's why I turned it down. Is like I just thought I was going to win, <laughs> um, and you know, obviously after that, I was like, okay, if I win this, I'm just going to keep winning. You know, it's like the mm-hmm. professional player sort of hubris. Mm-hmm. It's like right. I thought that I thought that that was what I wanted to do at the time because of the sort of. <clears throat> recency bias of my success and the work we had been putting in. Right. But ultimately I would not want to be a professional flesh and blood player for 10 years. I think it would be not fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you got to have that mindset though. Like, would you agree? You have to have that mindset of, I think I'm the best. I think I'm, I'm going to win this in order to win. I think if you want to consistently win major flesh and blood tournaments, you have to want to be the world champion. And that doesn't mean you're competing at Worlds. I mean, if you want to win callings, if you want to even win battle hardens, I think you have to want to be the best. The game, I think almost to a fault, is uh, very low variance and sort of kind of skill intensive. And I'm not saying that to us. I really hope that doesn't come off as like stroking like an ego or something. I like we, we talk about it from a design standpoint as being a fault by now because it's so prohibitively hard for new players to sort of enter the game and start winning and seeing success. Okay. But it's great for professional players. Like it's yeah. it's the perfect game. Yeah. Well, one one thing one thing you you talked about um, it, as casting giving players opportunities to meaningfully interact with the game over a longer period of time. Um, wh- my 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 brain initially went to uh, football, like professional, like professional sports, because, you know, you see, so you see so many different players, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think Brady, Tom Brady was just, um, they, they get, they gave him an offer for like, I don't know, some massive contract that was like higher than, um, I think it was higher than his player contracts or some of them. But, but anyway, we see, we see all these players, professional players go straight from playing the game mm-hmm. to casting. Um, and that just clicked in my mind, like that. Being, Those who can't do teach. <laughs> well, that, but but I wonder, like, how much of it is the opportunity to meaningfully interact with the game that they've developed this love for mm-hmm. over an extended period of time? Like, is that is that a big reason for for you in casting, like being able to meaningfully interact? So, like, if I was going to play, if I was going to try to play professionally in Flesh and Blood, and like. And you're going to spend thousands of dollars to travel to tournaments. You're going to travel the world and not in a good way, but like in the bad way of traveling the world where it takes, you know, you're taking time off work, you're taking time away from loved ones, you're spending a Mm -hmm. lot of money and, you know, you're living cheap. Um, 
Like that is one way to play the game. Can I do that for 10? Can I do that for 10 years? I don't think so. Like, I don't think so. I think that if you're the champ, you know, if you're winning all the time and that's what you love doing, you can, but it wasn't what I loved doing when I found out what I loved about flesh and blood was the people, right? Mm-hmm. And what's the best way to keep maximizing yeah. that part of flesh and blood <clears throat> to get paid to go there, right? Yeah. Not to win money, but to get paid to go there. And mm-hmm. yeah, that might sound a bit, uh, <laughs> a bit opportun- opportuni- opportunity, opportunistic, opportunistic, but like, that's how it is. Like these things yeah. are, to do this stuff for 10 years, like you had to find a way that you can interact with the game that's sustainable, I feel like. And that's what yeah. podcasting is to me. And that's what casting yeah. is. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to say this and I've said this. I, I've said, if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times, find your why. And you are another good example of your why being involved in these games is the people and it, it's the community. Like that's what's, that's what's keeping you in it. And I, my advice to everyone um, for w- whether it be gaming or whatever you're doing, find that why. Because that why is going to keep you doing the thing that you enjoy doing and you love doing. Um, it, when The moment you stray away from that, you're going to lose interest. You're, you're going to lose kind of everything, your reason for getting into that. So um, no, that, 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 that's awesome. Um, you're 100% right. You're, like you're 100% right. And I think that once you understand and find your why, find a way to maximize it, right? And then mm-hmm. that's the path you take. For me, mm-hmm. it was like as soon as I found the why, I was like, okay, I just doubled down on the podcasting. I doubled down yep. on casting because this will make sure that I can keep getting that why for as long as I want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, all right. So, so last question for, for this, but what would be your advice to somebody who wants to look to maybe get into casting um, or – yeah, let, let, let's let, let's phrase it in that way. What would be your advice to someone looking to get into casting for Flesh and Blood for any game? Like, what would your, your advice be uh, for someone looking to get into that profession? It's tough because I feel like I, like I could give the advice that would be needed, but it's not the path that I took. The path that I took, you know, to be completely transparent, was mostly out of nepotism, right? Like, I had a podcast. It was a bigger podcast in flesh and blood had been around since very early. I'd had friends that worked at the company. I was friends with the casters that makes everything 5 million bajillion Mm -hmm. times easier, 100%. But at the same time, I, I planted those seeds a long time ago, right? Mm -hmm. If you wanted to get into casting now and something like flesh and blood, you're going to have to develop a portfolio, right? You're Mm -hmm. going to need to do smaller gigs, you're going to probably need to do some stuff that maybe doesn't pay that well. But I know Flesh and Blood is working to expand their sort of battle heart and coverage league. There's people like Nansen putting on coverage for these for these callings and these kind of events. You need to be doing that. You need to get a portfolio. You need to get material that you can present to people that is a compelling reason of why you should uh, you know you should be on the booth. And then I think it's it's just it's really tough. I think that casting is. To be a caster, and what I see from the most successful casters out there these days is that they're not only casters, they're also content creators, um, and they have large followings. I think the larger your following is on something like Twitter, um, which I, is kind of cynical, and I'm not a fan of it either, but it's just a fact, the more mm-hmm. likely you are to get a casting gig. Because um, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I have this hilarious story. <laughs> I have 2,000 followers on Twitter, which is not a lot, but this, you're going to learn why. Um, <laughs> and someone at my local game store was like there was someone else was talking about the casting team for world championship he's like dude i can't believe who they picked they had someone there with like two thousand followers 
<laughs> uh, yeah, that's me, guy. <laughs> <laughs> that, I was just that, like, what? What a bozo. <laughs> Oh, what a guy. Yeah, oh, what an man. idiot. Uh, <laughs> I gotta go. I am <laughs> <laughs> not kidding that 100%. Ha- he had no clue that I was the 2000 Andy. <laughs> Did you know him? Did you know who that person was? No, it was just some random local. <laughs> just some, random. <laughs> some random local. <laughs> That's funny. Um, all right. Well, my, my, my final question before we move on to uh, one of my favorite segments is uh, uh, running. I, I, mm. I understand that you you torture yourself with running some uh, I think you're are you training for a marathon half marathon right now yeah so I did Why? a half of like three Why? yeah so well, good questions <laughs> I've been running for about four months about four months so I never ran before that I did I did sports so I did like uh, wrestling in high school I played uh-huh. college co- uh, collegiate rugby for four years um, and despite all of that physical activity, I freaking hated running. Like if I got the sniff that there was going to be a longer run exercise on a workout, I wasn't showing up. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I sucked at it. I was, I could not do it. I believed that I could not run. I was not built for it, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. So we had done this fab fitness challenge, like, eight, nine months back um, that was really successful around the community. And I was just like, this was just later. I was just, I'm just going to do the hardest thing I can. Po-. This was after the fitness challenge a couple of months later. I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do the hardest thing I can possible and kind of document it. And for me, I couldn't think of anything more that I hated more that had more power over me than running. And ultimately it sort of came down to is I was like, it had legitimate power over me. Like I mm-hmm. believed I could not run far. I believed I, I, I genuinely believed I couldn't do it and I was scared of it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to run a, I want to run a, I'm going to run a marathon <laughs> in three months. So yeah, uh, I ran the Austin half marathon a couple of weeks. Yeah. Like three weeks ago, I was planning to run a marathon, but I got a pretty nasty like sinus infection the day, like uh, the week, kind of a week before my girlfriend got it, gave it to me. So I ended up running, uh, running a half instead, but yeah, I've got another marathon here in uh, on May 29th in Ventura, California, but I'll probably do another half. Um, I think I got to work up a little longer to the marathon. Like, yeah, I'm just trying to get my half time down. My <laughs> I went for the half marathon time I went for in Austin, Texas was two hours and 30 minutes. And mm-hmm. I got two, I sh- I'm not kidding, I got 229.59 and I was not looking wow. at the clock. <laughs> wow. I'm not kidding. And when I crossed, when I crossed the finish line, it said two thirty-five something because they started for the first person that crossed. Uh, and yeah, you know, mine was after, so mm-hmm. I actually thought I mm-hmm. missed it, and I was like super bummed. And then someone pulled that up, and I was like, oh my god. Um, wow. But yeah, it's <laughs> mainly to uh, to eliminate something that like the one the one major thing that I just you know I felt like I legitimately could I. You know, I had every excuse in the world, you know, like asthma when I was young, yeah. never was good at it, get it, all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had really bad shin splints when I was playing rugby. So a million reasons why I couldn't. I was like, I'm just going to do this. Wow. That's <laughs> awesome. Like, You're going to go for the sub four hour marathon? No chance. <laughs> all right. Understood. <laughs> you guys know that uh, you sub four hours. So like sub four hours, like uh, that's a very like normal people can do sub four hour, which is crazy to me because I could not. No way I can. You guys have heard of the Boston Marathon, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. What do you think? What do you think the time qualification is for the Boston Marathon? Yeah, I hear that one was the bomb. <laughs> oh my god, that was so bad. Oh, my, my oh, mistake was well, too soon. It's been a couple of years. I thought I forgot we were recording. <laughs> 
Wow. <laughs> I cannot believe that. All right. Okay, back to... I'm just going to try to ignore that. <laughs> we're going to um, edit that out. <laughs> so, uh, time qualification. Um, I... 430? 430? Sub 3. Sub 3? Yeah. Whoa! That's crazy. Hmm. It depends on your age group, but yeah, I believe it's sub 3, which is like the most heinous, just ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And like, you you could reasonably run into... I've run into people, I feel like, in my lifetime. Like, yeah, I qualified for Boston. I never knew what that meant. And now it's like... Wow. Just, holy shit. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Well, I'll I will tell you, Brendan, like that that's pretty inspiring. The fact that mm-hmm. you looked at that as a an obstacle and trying it was the thing that you feared and just said, No, I'm gonna do it, you know, my, mind over matter. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think that mentality is what you need to be successful in c- card games. Right in life in general, but like let's let's apply it to the conversation, the entire conversation we've been having. I think that mentality is key to being successful um, and good in these card games. Right, is is that whole mind your mind over mind over everything, and that that's pretty inspiring, man. David Goggins, hundred mm-hmm. percent. I love David Goggins, man. That guy, that guy is a monster. He's insane, and he is. <laughs> I mean, if I if I ever met that guy, I feel like I would just like shiver and be like, I cannot measure up to anything that you do. Like it's <laughs> that he is he would be so very intimidating for me to just stand mm-hmm. next to. Um, but yeah. I I love I love David Goggins. Absolutely. Pretty interesting race, the one that he did. It's like a ultra marathon through mm-hmm. Death Valley up to like mm-hmm. the highest peak. Yep. I can't some back backwater backwater something yeah it's uh, it's crazy right mm-hmm. what you realize once you start doing this kind of like because i came from i came from nothing in terms of running right like i mm-hmm. most i most i run was a couple miles you realize mm-hmm. that like there is freaking levels to this like it yeah. is ridiculous like yeah. there is super normal people that you will meet that are just mm-hmm. absolutely crushing anything you thought was humanly possible yep, yep. And I'll, I'll tell you now, um, my dad's one of them. My dad, a couple of years ago, started started picking up running. Last year, he did the Chicago Triathlon. Uh-huh. Um, I went down there and, you know, watched him do it. I was super proud <laughs> of him. But, I mean, I, I, jo- I joke with him a lot that he gave all his weight to me. <laughs> <laughs> just transferred all of his weight to me. I'm like, thanks. Like I, I used to, I used to stand next to him and feel good about myself. Now I feel worse about myself mm. standing next to him. <laughs> but, but all that being said, I'm very proud. I was very proud of him when he did that, and he's not stopping. He is, he has gotten in insanely good shape. That's so, cool. um, yeah, no, I, I, I appreciate that. Like, I think that's, I think that's awesome. I think that's a great message to, to share, pe- to share with people as well, for sure. So, mm. all right, well. With all with all of that, with all of that, we're gonna move. We're gonna move on to our uh, to our favorite segment, our favorite segment of the day. And that's the card of the week. Yay. Card of the week. Uh, this week is brought to you by Brendan by Brendan Patrick. Brendan, can you tell us what this week's card of the week is? Yeah, so it's Aether Wildfire. I hope there's an image popped up because I don't know if yes. I can read the text from yes. mine. But yes, yeah. So Aether Wildfire is an interesting card in Flesh and Blood because it's probably the most powerful card, but probably one of the least played cards in the game. Um, it's led to most of the success that me and my team have had on these sort of these professional circuits has been due to Aether Wildfire. But the reason why I like the card is because flesh and blood due to the nature of the resource system and the cards you attack with become resources as well, et cetera, et cetera. It's a very mathy game. Like the game exists on some sort of base equation and it's 
everything tries to equalize around a, like a core value of eight or four, but most people go with eight, right? And Aether Wildfire in no way exists on that spectrum. It completely breaks every sort of math sort of uh, rule of the game. But at the same time, it's a super clunky card. It's hard to play. It's like it has to do like some sort of complicated and somewhat convoluted combo. But once you understand this card, the math becomes really easy because it's heuristic based and we deal with values that are base 32. So the the life total, starting life total in Flesh and Blood is 40. The base damage of an Aether Wildfire combo is can be around 32 if you have the, the number of resources you should have. That's a lot. Not, and That's we're talking crazy. like the most damage you'll see on like a, a card that costs two like this is like six, six damage. So this is 32 base. Obviously need supporting cards, but mm-hmm. it's in Flesh and Blood, we talk a lot about math because mm-hmm. it's honestly people understanding the math of Flesh and Blood, understanding values of cards is why they become successful and why people don't. And we have this conversation a lot, just like at these at these tournaments and people, you know, analyze cards and there's all this there's always this back and forth conversation what's good what's not why these decks are successful why these players are successful why they brought this card that card and we always kano is like the outlier and people like kano doesn't make any sense like the math is terrible all of kano's cards the rest of the cards are really underrate like this card is a technically like a two for four right that's super underrate two for six is like the base but when combined with the right cards and combined with the right play pattern it's not two for two for four it's 32 yeah. for whatever 32, the number yeah, is. Exactly. Two for 32 based. Like it's, it's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really like this card in, in flesh and blood because it, it breaks the game in my opinion. If there's one thing I've learned about card games is just because there's like a, a flow to the game, like you were saying, like the two for eight or two for six, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, combo always <laughs> doesn't care about that. Yep. Combo is, I want to do my combo, and the game's over. It doesn't matter what every other person is going for their specific rule or how the meta is shaped out to be. It's, if I can just kill you in one turn, it it doesn't matter all that math we just went for the rest of everyone else. Combo goes around it. Yeah, so if you guys come from a magic background or you understand magic decks, this deck in Flesh and Blood, this is Amulet Titan in Flesh and Blood. Oh, he loves it. I love Amulet Titan. He he has it. I'm 100%. I'm looking at it right over there. There's (laughs) Amulet Titan. (laughs) (laughs) But when you were talking about that, I'm like, huh, this is reminding Mm -hmm. me of Amulet Titan. I should play this deck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's not not a determinate card terministic combo and the the pieces you can use to assemble the combo are very dynamic and they very much depend on the current state of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, when I started playing Amulet Titan, and I think the reason I picked up Amulet Titan was I like green, um, but I'm I also when I started playing combo decks, I'm like, man, mm-hmm. I love I just love the the play patterns, the um, problem solving, like in the moment that I have to try and do to figure out how to get my combo. Yep. And I immediately fell in love with Amulet Titan and just that those play patterns and just figuring out on the fly, how can I beat you here? How can I win? And mm-hmm. so I am, and that's one of the things I love about card games, right? Is the, is these different archetypes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I, I fell in love with combo, with, with the combo strategies and just those types of decks. And, um, but yeah, I, I, that was just immediately where my mind went to and I, and I loved it a hundred percent. There's a, 
sort of a vernacular question I have, because I think that not all combo decks are the same, but they yes. all f- really fall under the word combo, and I think it'd be really misleading. So if you think about a deck like Amulet Titan or Legacy Elves as a combo deck, but then you think of something like a, like a Legacy Painter or maybe like a, um, a Splinter some Twin. D- like some Char Belter. Two- yeah. yeah. Like a two-card combo deterministic win versus a deck like Amulet Titan. They're both combo, but I they could not be, I think, further from each other in terms of like play patterns and like what they're trying to do. Yeah. And Flesh and Blood is like that too. We well, we don't have two-card combos, but it's hard to be like there is another combo deck in Flesh and Blood called Bolton, and it will effectively just like draw the right cards eventually. And it just kind of just if it draws the right cards, it vomits its hand and it wins the game. Mm-hmm. Can, the Kano deck is not like that at all, right? It's it's a solitaire deck, but at the same time, it's dynamic. It can adapt to anything. It's like a, the actual card, the specific card you play for the combo can be multiple different things. I just, mm-hmm. I don't know how to sort of delineate between mm-hmm. that combo and this combo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You guys use? Well, <clears throat> that's a, that's a, that's a good question, right? Um, I don't know. I, do you have an answer? <laughs> I, I'm, I really don't because, know. <laughs> because I mean, I think I think we use these terms, um, combo, tempo, what, 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 whatever the case may be, right? Mm-hmm. As a as a as a very generalized term of gives you an idea of how the deck plays and how the deck functions, right? So, but I also think the combo archetype can vary so widely. Like control is control. I was gonna say maybe for rather than how the deck is played. I think it's more of how does the deck win, you know, because yeah, we talk yeah. about Splinter Twins and that's a combo deck, except your playing is it control until you win the game with yeah. Splinter Twins. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. And then like even in the even in post board, you could just bring in a bunch more control spells and yeah. then just win through the attrition setup. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like because then you also look at how Amulet Titan works. Um, you just have a lot of like pretty good cards until you just instantly kill them with amulet Amulet titan of oh attack with haste and get in there make make the make the vala cuts and then just blow them up yep so you're still playing like really good cards yeah also like what what is the combo like there's like these two card combos but then there's like combo elves right like the 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 combo that you do in like legacy elves is like you gotta build up very dynamic right like it's like you couldn't Mm -hmm. you couldn't draw up one single way to combo off elves you could you could write out the win condition but that's not the combo right right and i think that like that's that's a huge difference like the you're right there is a control magic shell in splinter twin but ultimately there is the that is the win condition but like you look like a deck like like um yeah like elves or something like that like the, there is that single win condition but the actual combo you're pulling off is like much more lengthy i feel like the decision trees like kind of go much wider out and they give you a lot more agency as the combo player but yeah we just i think that the answer is like we don't have a word for it like there yes. is no word right. it all just burn. falls under combo burn right. is also a seven card combo you just get seven <laughs> bolts seven to their bolts. face and you win the game <laughs> <laughs> we have a we have a meme for that in flesh and blood there's a really really boring fatigue deck called oldham oldham fatigue and <laughs> we call oldham fatigue combo it's like i block you out i win the game combo <laughs> it's like, nice. you literally there do you nothing you, you don't play the game at all you just mm-hmm. throw your hand down every turn <laughs> yeah. combo yeah well b- before we get out of here i i do ha- i do have to say i i love the fact where before we before <laughs> we're on this call we talk about oh yeah i'm not not a big magic player but i i know magic 
and he's talking about all these decks as if like he 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 knows them. Hundred percent, he knows them. I'm yeah. like, that's that's awesome. He said he went ham into yes. researching magic. Correct. So Correct. I watched I, a lot of coverage, old coverage, like an obscene amount. Like I think I've watched most pro tours, most world championships, and a lot of GPs. How does it feel about ten years, five years after? That one, I don't know if I don't think I've seen that one. I usually went like I usually went for was that a standard pro tour? It was. Yeah, right? it was. Yeah. I usually don't go standard. I usually go modern or legacy because it's yeah. <laughs> Rivals of Mixalon, yeah. I think was the last modern one. Yeah. That's yeah. funny. Was it uh, Yuya? Was it Yuya? Wait, no, uh Rivals of Ixalon. Who won that? Uh I just know that it was uh Humans Lantern Control like... was the winner. Oh, oh yeah, that was um Seth Manfield, I, I think, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who, who was piloting. Who is this? This is crazy. <laughs> that, oh, this ladies, is and ladies and gentlemen, this is what research this looks great. like. Okay, this <laughs> is what research looks <laughs> Doesn't like. Doesn't matter how long you've been in the game; yeah. it matters how much effort you put into the game. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. When when I first started playing Magic, when when I first played a game with AJ, mm -hmm. and he said, "Oh yeah, I, I just picked up Magic within like the year." <laughs> He's naming off all these cards. I'm like, dude. You said you just started playing and you know all these. You know what everything does. Who are you? That's crazy. That's insane. I've, uh, I've never played a game of competitive magic, like at a Grand Prix level or anything like that. Never. Mm -hmm. That's that's crazy to me. Like like I said, ladies and gentlemen, this is what research looks like. Uh, just look at look at the face of Brendan Patrick right here, uh, Mister Research. That's crazy. So, all right. Well, that that is this week's card of the week. Our first flesh and blood card. Uh, um, how did I don't have an opinion that it's uh, that it's this card, Aether Wildfire. All I know is that when I read this card, we're both like, "This card does what? This is crazy." Mm -hmm. I love all burn cards, Dan. Yes. Yeah, we know. We know. We we know, Jim. So, all right. Well, Brendan, thank you so much. This was an this was an awesome conversation. I absolutely loved every every second of this. So, thank you very much. Um, but Brendan, can you tell our audience where can people find you and your content on the internet? Yeah, honestly, probably the best hub is just at Brendan APG on Twitter. Everything is there. Um, I do Marvel Snap stuff, Lorcana stuff, and Arsenal Pass stuff. And yeah, I talk on the internet. I guess. <laughs> It's the guy that talks on the internet. I was gonna, I'm going to put that in my bio now, a guy that talks on the internet. So. <laughs> All right. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Uh, hope you had a good time because I know that we did. So thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Thanks. Who here feels 10 times smarter than they did before they listened to that conversation? I can't go to 2000 <laughs> IQ, Dan. I can't. I can't go to 2000 IQ. <laughs> Um, I, I made I made the comment after we ended that call um, with that was the first interview that I really mm -hmm. felt like I didn't need my questions. Yeah. I did not need this at all because it just it felt like it flowed so naturally. Yeah. And I was we were able to just continue and continue and continue. And that was that was one of the best conversations mm -hmm. I felt like we've had on this podcast. I was I was telling Dan afterwards and I was just like, I think we could talk to that guy for hours. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hours. Easily. Oh, yeah. Like if we were just chilling at like a tournament mm -hmm. randomly, we would lose track of rounds and we would just yep. DQ 
we'd go uh, X and <laughs> X and two. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. We just get disqualified because we lost so much time just yeah. talking about yeah. stuff. Yeah. So, guys, let us know down below in the comments if you enjoyed that conversation because you know what? We did. And you mm -hmm. know what? One other thing we would love to know, if there's anyone else in the community that you would want us to see have a conversation with, let us know down below. Shoot us a comment. Shoot us an email. And uh, let us know if there's somebody that you think uh, would be a good fit for a guest on this podcast. We would love to know. And you know what, Jim? Where can people find you on the internet? Oh, yeah. You guys can find me on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram at JimMorganHNH. You guys can find me on Twitter at underscore DG Campbell and on Instagram at Daniel.G.Campbell. Head over to our website, www.hobbiesandhappiness.com. <laughs> you can find links to all of our content there. Take you to YouTube, pretty much all of our stuff there. And you know what? If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button so you can be notified whenever we release new content on the channel. And you know what? Again, thanks everybody for being here. This was a lot of fun. And I really hope to talk to Brennan again at some yeah, point I down the road. Um, but all right. Thanks everybody for being here. And we'll catch you in the next episode. See everybody. Take care. Take care.